0: case number 22-1251 public citizen inc
1: petitioner for the federal energy regulatory commission mr joshi for the petitioner mr glover for the respondents Key for the intervener
2: good morning good morning May it please the court um this case challenges a pair of orders from the federal energy regulatory commission in which the commission concluded that it does not have jurisdiction over export facilities that deliver liquefied natural gas to ships by truck. That decision was wrong. Congress gave the Commission exclusive jurisdiction over all natural gas export facilities, quote, located on shore or in state waters. The only export facilities excluded from the Commission's uh, jurisdiction are deep water ports, which Congress expressly carved out from the scope of the Natural Gas Act. In the Commission's view, however, Onshore in the Natural Gas Act does not mean on land the way it does in every other oil and gas statute. But if onshore doesn't mean on land, the Commission never coherently explains what else it could mean. It cannot mean near the coast because even the Commission agrees that it would be arbitrary to excuse me to regulate export facilities differently based on their distance from the coastline. But the statutory text allows for no other options. It must mean on land. What the Commission has done instead is to say that onshore doesn't refer to a phys- facility's physical location at all, but to the way gas is transferred from uh, two ships for export. If by pipeline, the facilities are onshore, if by truck, they are inland facilities that fall under the state's authorities. authority. Congress, however, did not write the statute that way, and this court should not read it that way. Onshore refers to a phys- facility's physical location and history and context make clear that that physical lo- location is a location on land. Let's just start with the word
3: onshore. Yep. Um, this case is a little unusual. You usually parties throw dictionary definitions at us and each side is saying the text is crystal clear the way we want to read it, it here. There's actually agreement on both sides that the word is ambiguous. Onshore can mean at the coastline,
2: or it can mean anywhere on land, right? So I, I would take issue that we think the word is ambiguous simply because it has two plausible dictionary definitions. Well, just starting with onshore. Yeah, the, the right? dictionaries say what they say, and that's, they set out the universe, I think, of what the commission can use to determine whether something is What What meaning of onshore is. However, I think everyone agrees at this point, uh, onshore really can't mean near the coast in terms of a distance measurement because that would result in utterly arbitrary decision-making. A facility, a liquefaction facility, one mile from the coast may be in, two miles from the coast may be out. The commission does not carve up the world that way. If, if it's, uh, it regulates facilities hundreds of miles inland. Put aside, put aside your arbitrary and
3: capricious and just in terms of what the words can mean, at at or near the coastline is a perfectly accepted, coherent meaning of the word onshore.
2: In the abstract, I think that's right. In the context and history of the Natural Gas Act, I don't think that's right. Uh, historically, Section three of the ga- uh, the Act uh, gave the Commission jurisdiction over facilities as uh, der- uh, derived from section three is regulation of imports and exports the activities themselves that's what this court held in district gas, uh, even if facilities are located entirely in one state, which are normally carved out from the commission's jurisdiction for import or export facilities they are they all within the commission's jurisdiction. That was border pipeline from nineteen forty nine that was district gas. That was the backdrop on which Congress uh, acted in in two thousand and two when it carved out the water facilities, and then three years later. When it enacted this definition, court uh, commission officials testified to Congress. This is the this is the way the world is carved up. Deep water facilities are subject to the Department of Transportation jurisdiction under the Deep Water Port Act, Park Act uh, and basically other import or export facilities. At the time, it was import primarily, but they are subject to the just jurisdiction.
3: If, if we move from text to structure and context, right, which we all agree, you know, we we do that as part of Chevron step one. Um the context is there are three categories of um facilities. There are the ones that are in the deep water, there are the ones that are in I'll just call it the shallow water, the water that's within state jurisdiction. And there are the facilities that are onshore right whatever that means doesn't the the water based focus of that scheme suggest that onshore means at the shoreline no, i don't say so, you know i might be in deep water i might be in shallow water i might be onshore right that doesn't mean i might be in nebraska
2: I don't see that connection. I think Congress was primarily concerned with exports and imports by ship. Mm-hmm. So, and the words they used in the definition suggests that was its focus. Um, but the commission, for example, doesn't say there's only certain facilities in state waters are subject to its jurisdiction, state waters or state waters. I think the same is true with onshore. I mean, I think for your, to go to your question, it gets back to the arbitrariness of setting a distance measurement from the shoreline. Nebraska is too far, but maybe Louisiana, central Louisiana is close enough. I, I I, don't think anyone thinks that's a coherent scheme, regulatory scheme. Um, and That's certainly not, it would be the first time I think, if what you're saying is uh, suggesting it would be correct, Congress in 2005 meant for the first time to take facilities used for foreign commerce and natural gas and give them to the states to, to regulate the ban to determine whether they get built or how they get built. And that would, that would, that's exactly the opposite purpose Congress had in 2005, which was to preempt the states, which in, in that situation, California was contesting the commission's jurisdiction. So um, so the words of the statute really talk about the function of the facilities. The words onshore or in state waters are to make clear that uh, the commission's jurisdiction not extended deepwater ports.
4: Well, I think one, one other textual contextual clue here might be, and just keeping in mind that I think your burden is to show that it unambiguously has your meaning. Again, putting aside the arbitrary and capricious challenge. But in addition to what Judge Katzis points to, the statute also references uh, uh, Transported in interstate commerce by waterborne vessel, isn't that another indication that we're focused on water, the shore? It doesn't say transported in interstate commerce by any means.
2: Well, traditionally, uh, the commission had jurisdiction over interstate commerce, under section seven, um, and under under section seven, uh, I don't historically it has read the different wording of that provision to to exclude uh, non-platforming. Transport. So, what Congress did not when it enacted Section 3 was not only strengthen the Commission's jurisdiction over imports and exports, for example, by amending Section 1, but also to expand Section 3 to include this sort of interstate component that had historically been, the Commission had not historically regulated under Section 7. And once again, the, the, uh, Congress may have been concerned with exports by ship, but not whether, they're lo- uh, whether the facilities themselves were located at this certain shoreline. Most facilities are, because if you're going to export or import you by ship, you're going to want to be near the shoreline for cost reasons. Uh, but, but whether the, the jurisdictional analysis, whether the Commission of the states should regulate a particular facility I think it doesn't coherently uh, make sense in terms of a distance measurement. in fact, the commission does not adopt a distance measurement at all. It says we won't do that. What we're going to look at is method of delivery of gas to the ship. I think that's a red flag that the commission, you know, cannot come up with a coherent interpretation of onshore. That means near the water, but it has to substitute a whole different test to come uh, to to, uh, provide some type of alternative regulatory scheme that it can apply uh, to
4: various. How, How are you asking us to think about this? You're addressing now your challenge to the direct transfer test. Essentially, are you asking us to think about that as essentially an arbitrary and capricious issue, or is it a statutory interpretation issue?
2: So I think it's more of a statutory interpretation issue. We don't we not ask the court to determine uh, what we think the facility would be close enough if there were distance measurement. It's it's pretty close, a quarter mile from the coast. Um, but ultimately, it's the commission that has to decide that if the court thinks. The court disagrees with us that onshore means on land unambiguously. Um, the court should uh, conclude that the commission's interpretation that treats onshore as a method of delivery as opposed to a geographic area uh, is, is not a plausible And then remand so the commission can come up with a distance measurement if, that, if it sticks to that interpretation.
3: In your rehearing petition, really focused on the argument that onshore means anywhere on land. And then you, you maybe have a fallback. You, you have a somewhat cursory rhetorical line that if the precedents require a more direct capability of transferring LNG than the quarter mile process here, they are contrary to the plain language of the statute. That seems that's that's a statutory argument. That's not an arbitrary and
2: capricious argument. I I think our focus both in the for the commission and here is a statutory. Word. Right. Um, so if, if for example the commission, so, so if, if like, the
3: commission, I, I think that probably entitles you to make a statutory argument that. The direct connection test can't be reconciled with the statute. The onshore, as used in the statute, construed in context. I'm not sure it entitles you to make an argument that, assuming that's a permissible statutory construction, the commission didn't adequately explain it. Right, and I, I, I don't think.
2: We make a lack of reasoned explanation. You don't think you make the latter, uh, other than other than the. But
3: you're sort of trying to smuggle it in when you say that onshore can't mean on or near the shore because the commission says it would be arbitrary to um, determine onshoreness by just a, a an absolute amount of distance.
2: So I. Uh, let, let me be clear. Our, our primary argument before the commission here is onshore means on land, right. and the commission doesn't have jurisdiction. Right. I got that. So if the court disagrees with that and reaches the second argument, uh, we we uh, don't think the commission's interpretation, alternative interpretation of onshore, where it says it means near the coast, but doesn't actually apply a near the coast test, is uh, what satisfy Chevron's second. Now. The court has, has said the Chevron second-step analysis similar to an arbitrary and capricious analysis. So in that sense, you can, you can say it's an arbitrary and challenge, but we don't contend that this court should, should decide that the commission has determined that 0.25, I mean, a quarter mile is, is too close or not close enough. The commission did not engage in that analysis because it, is, it, it substituted geography for a completely different standard that looks to method of delivery and so that, in that sense, um, even if the court were to give the commission, commission deference, it um, really didn't exercise that deference in any sort of way that the statutory text would permit. Well, why is your
0: primary argument the onshore argument as opposed to the argument about the? FERC says that LNG terminals must be capable of transferring LNG onto waterborne vessels. And where's the statutory support for that? I don't understand why this wouldn't be your primary argument when it's so much, I think, stronger to show that this is not consistent with the statutory text structure or context intent.
2: Well, we we focus on the meaning of um, onshore as online because we think that's the better argument. Uh, we think that clears up um, a lot of I think, confusion as to which is best. I do think we make that second argument that
0: you do, I'm just wondering about the, the emphasis.
2: Yes, uh, no, I think it's, um, I think if the court were not to conclude in this case, onshore means on land, you, the court may face these questions over and over again. Facilities uh, so could be just moved further back if the commission has to come up with a distance measure. Um,
0: do you have a sense of how many facilities we're talking about? Like, is this proliferating? I, it appears that this is a kind of new technology at least since 2015. So when the statute was written, this type of facility was not in use. And so it's a novel technology. And how how many facilities are we talking about if you have a sense of order of magnitude that you're sure. saying FERC should be regulating, but it is not?
2: So for export or import facilities, um, uh, I, 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 w- I want to say they're in the 20 to 25 range. Uh, maybe the commission would have a better number. Um, and most of those, um, at least by volume, I shouldn't say most, but in terms of by volume, most of those will be the types of facilities that the, the commission says it can regulate, which are delivering, uh, directly transferring liquefied natural gas to ships. My question
0: was about the ones that are are putting the LNG into containers that
2: are then trucked yeah. to the port. That's a little harder to determine because the commission has not, uh, not regulated them. Uh, so we only know about them because of rulings are having it too many recently. Um, the other the other thing that makes it difficult uh, and maybe the Commission has statistics but um, you can have these facilities that operate domestically and so they could be located anywhere uh, and uh, so it, I, I, I don't have this precise number. Thank you.
3: If My understanding is um, if an LNG facility loads Um, liquid gas into the container and then puts it on the truck, right? That's what we're talking about. If the truck then just drives across the border, FERC's position is that the truck is not
2: an export facility. Do you disagree with that? So I guess we don't disagree or agree because FERC says that, but it has not pointed to a prior commission order that goes, undertakes the analysis. And we haven't been able to find that ourselves, so it's it's sort of a suggestion that that's not backed by anything, right? since those do not involve ships, perhaps. Perk well, can I mean, we're figuring out the
3: consequences of your theory, so
2: right. And 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 I don't think those facilities are very numerous, but it's it's a little hard to argue in the abstract one way or the other to differentiate or not differentiate that situation because we have not seen I've not seen any analysis by FERC explaining why. Um, whether, the, for example, those exporters need an export license from the Department of Energy, uh, whether those why those facilities are excluded if they are, uh, ha- I mean, so it's it's a little hard to sort of differentiate that. We have here a definition that Congress enacted, obviously that we can sink our teeth into and and interpret. But, uh, we don't have anything. Mission the, the truck transport
3: uh, across. The I mean, if if you accept that the truck driving the natural gas across the border is not an export facility. And FERC says this facility is sort of like that, right? Once it, once the gas is put on the truck, that's the end of the facility. The truck um, leaves and, you know, it might be destined for a ship, it might be destined for the border, that's kind of Downstream from the facility.
2: Well, I don't think it said that in this order, and if it had, we might have. Uh, well, it re- said that in pivotal. Pivotal, yes. Well, pivotal involved a situation where the the facility was uh, putting LNG into c- in containers, and then its customers were either going to be domestic customers mm-hmm. or or people who um, uh, entities that exported the the gas. So. Um, uh, so it did it did say that I think it mentioned that in shell it did not rely on that reasoning here um but once again it it neither of those orders cite any prior commission order that talks about truck truck so
3: um uh, I, mean, I, I'm, I guess I'm wondering it you know it might have something to do with FERC's idea that you know pipelines are different it might have something to do with FERC's idea that dedicated facilities. Are different so those are and, and yes. you know you're saying don't worry our th- our theory won't upset the apple cart too much because those are guardrails in place and we're not challenging them but i guess i'm wondering mm-hmm. if your theory will put all of that in doubt
2: well i don't, I, I i wouldn't say that necessarily um it might i mean folks Fer- Fer- still has to follow the statute uh, FERC does. I do. I am aware. FERC has a history, as I mentioned earlier, of construing Section Seven because of the particular language that Section Seven uses regarding interstate uh, uh, commerce in natural gas. say so that only um, regulates pipelines; it does not regulate interstate truck delivery of LNG. And but that 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 uh, that a that was um, a longstanding interpretation by. Federal Power Commission from 1973, so that was regulatory backdrop. backdrop that Congress uh, would not, I don't think, has ever applied to until recently, has, has ever applied to exports or imports.
3: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go back and read Shell directly, but as we described, as we described it in New Fortress, it treated that aspect of Section 7 and that aspect of Section 3.
2: Yeah. Is an and, and, and FERC found in this case that uh, this facility does satisfy the pipeline connection requirement. That's why it's not before the court because of that. So to the extent FERC is concerned about uh, uh, pipeline, mm-hmm. pipeline focus, it has an element in its three-part test that looks at that, and this facility satisfies that element. So um, but the question then is the second element of the three-part test what geographic area does FERC, does FERC have jurisdiction over? And what geographic area does, does the state do the have jurisdiction over? And our position is uh, uh, Congress intended to give FERC, mm-hmm. uh, federal jurisdiction over so regardless
4: of where they're located, except for deport. Just briefly, uh, <clears throat> this, Case has the odd feature that we've been talking about, a facility the company says it doesn't plan to build. And on mootness, your uh, one of the main concerns you express in your brief is essentially that if we were to conclude the case is moot, then maybe no Petro would change course and you would then be time barred from challenging these orders again. But we, of course, have the authority, if we believe the case was moot, to vacate those orders. So wouldn't that address whatever lingering concern you have about this facility?
2: No, we, we addressed that in our brief. I, it, 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 the court certainly should if it fan, um, finds the case move to vacate the orders, but Perk's policy at this point is pretty clear. As long as no petrol uses trucks, Perk, they, 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 they are not going to be subject to Perk's action. Uh,
4: and so they,
2: they don't have to go back to to get another declaratory ruling
4: Right. They'd be be running a pretty significant risk that FERC would change course or that you all would go and and file another petition um, somehow to bring it in front of FERC and secure a review. I mean, that's why they come and get a declaratory order in the first place, right?
2: I'm sure they wanted the certainty that that declaratory ruling provides, but um, having received the declaratory ruling, FERC setting out its position, the fact that the court has on paper vacated the order but does not change FERC's policy uh, and uh, yeah I don't know that uh, they have much no petro would have much risk of a FERC enforcement action um, especially given that FERC is saying this is a long-standing policy um, that, that we've consistently applied to other facilities FERC to then uh, change its position to no petro's detriment um, on its own I think um, would be very odd for an Asian. Mean, that's so, what happened in District S. It, it does. It does happen. That that's was a long time mind ago. In new Fortress, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, but in terms of the mutinous standard, uh, the courts are pretty pretty watchful that plaintiffs, if our uh, or petitioners are, you know, do receive the relief they ask for, and then if they're going to dismiss. The cases that was really absolutely clear that they won't be harmed by a change in voluntary action later down. I think that all of the cases decided they really all stand for that. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll give you rebuttal.
1: May it please the court. I'm Matthew Glover and I represent respondent the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Um, I think I'll start with some of the questions you had for uh, opposing counsel as to the interpretation of onshore. Why don't you start with moodness? moodness. It's jurisdictional. Yeah.
3: uh, We asked you for views on whether this case was moot and you gave us precious little.
1: Fair. Um, Unfortunately, I think this is one of those circumstances that I learned early in my time in government where sometimes government isn't taking a, a firm position on something, and it may be um, disappointing to the, the court. And, and uh, But I have a couple points. We have to deal with it. I, so I, what I, is the commission's position? So we don't have a, a definitive position on, on whether this is moved, but a couple of points in, in response. Um, first of all, we've said repeatedly that these are case-by-case um, determinations when we issue these jurisdictional determinations. I think it's footnote 12 at page 43. We made clear to No Petro that this is only as to the project specified here in the declaratory order, sorry. And I think at footnote 33, we also note that, you know, if you had a different facility that was loading LNG pieces onto trucks, but, you know, you were loading it at a dedicated LNG facility, we're not, or not on a truck, sorry, containers onto ships, we're not addressing that here. So this is going to be very limited to what No Petro is doing. We weren't clear from their letter. Um, their interest in kind of the precedential value, I don't think, could keep this case not being moved. So it becomes a question of how likely are they to construct this facility, no Petro themselves. Um, I I think, uh, as petitioners are pointed out in their supplemental brief, in in cases where we issue a certificate, um, we had one of those called Jordan Cove. What we did when the petitioner no longer sought to build that facility, we actually asked the court for jurisdiction back because we'd filed the administrative record. And then we asked the party, should we vacate the certificate? They said we should. We vacated the certificate, we came back to the court and said, you should dismiss. As they point out, this is not a scenario where we've issued a certificate. We've made a declaratory statement as to this specific um, facility and the the ongoing policy concern, I don't think they can sustain that. I mean, I looked at Del Monte Fresh, a a case from this circuit, talking about when you seek a declaratory order challenging an ongoing policy, you need standing to challenge that ongoing policy. All of their standing declarations are about people in Port St. Joe about this specific facility. So, you know, and I apologize if we had more clarity from no petro saying, no, I understand. I understand that. Um, you on the,
3: um, case by case you, you say at points in your order that these jurisdictional determinations are made on their facts, but that's really not your reasoning. I mean, when the rubber meets the road, what you say is onshore means on or close to the shoreline, And on or close to the shoreline means capable of directly connecting to the tanker. And that's a pretty clear rule of law. And unless you change your mind, it will govern a a large swath of future cases. You know, I've said the decision has to be, the controversy has to be predictably repeatable. It seems like this one will be when and if they
1: try to construct something under Honor. i think i would just have two points on that yes you know we've said and we do believe here we were following our previous precedents but when we're issuing a declaratory order it's an informal adjudication as to that those parties and those facts and so i'm not disputing that um, you know in the next case uh, you know if no petro decided to try a different facility or build a different facility filed a new section 3 of the petition you know, the presumption would be the commission would continue applying the same three criteria it's been applying. The commission, obviously, given that our interpretation as the statute is ambiguous and we've picked the best interpretation, but we haven't stated this is the only interpretation or this is sort of the only required aspect of the statute. We've left ourselves room that a future commission could change its position. Um, in that sense, it, you know, you're sort of like challenging a court precedent. Um, you know, you're asking for a declaration that that precedent is no longer good or that it wouldn't be applied in the next case, except. You know, we don't have the LaShawn A. versus Barry that you're faced with where you need an on banc quarter and irons footnote to change your precedent. We are an agency. Um, as to the um, remedy in mootness, I think Northern California Power Agency versus Nuclear Regulatory Commission confronted a situation where um, a party other than the petitioner, it was a petition for review from the, nu- the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, a party other than the petitioner caused the case to become moot through a bankruptcy agreement. And the court said, you know, in that case, the normal remedy is vacator. If you were to vacate these orders, you know, no Petra would be you know, proceeding at their own risk, given that they wouldn't have an order as to this facility. And in terms of the precedential value for any future facility, again, you know, you could take the new fortress approach. New fortress did not seek a declaratory order. They started construction on their facility. We issued them a show cause saying, gee, this seems to look like a a jurisdictional. Suppose we vacate
3: the order on rudeness grounds, Petro changes course, they decide to take their chances and they start building the facility. Um, Would public citizen have any means of securing judicial review at that point?
1: I think they could ask, I I should have checked once more this morning because I looked last week at our declaratory order regulation. I think they could ask for a declaratory order to remove uh, Uncertainty—that's one of our grounds for a declaratory order. I think if it was the same facility in the same place, they would have the same members. They would have, you know, standing. And under- would you have to adjudicate that, or is that um, discretionary? It is—it is discretionary for us to adjudicate that. Um, sometimes we dismiss them. Even when we dismiss them, parties take um, the rehearing uh, provision in the—at least in the Federal Power Act—is where I'm more familiar with it. But uh, it's interpreted the same as the Natural Gas Act would allow them to, you know. Ask for rehearing of our dismissal if we said we're not going to address this again. They could ask for rehearing and then they could come to this court and say, "Gee, they wouldn't give us a declaratory order." We think that this is, uh, uh, you know, I guess that's like in terms of the cases they cite, like Sands and, and Knox on this, A lot of that turned on the specific facts as to ongoing injury or potential for injury. We, you know, we just weren't sure when Petro made their statement. It wasn't a statement that we might want to pursue this facility. It had a lot of we might want to use other facilities but we don't think this declaratory order would cover. Uh, I'll take a drink in this the merits. As the court was explaining with my friend on the other side you know on the merits we think the statute's ambiguous. We think we have the best reading of the statute but certainly not the only reading of the statute. In terms of uh, onshore uh, we do think that onshore or in state waters Transported in interstate commerce, uh, and then also the term, the heading of the, the new provision, Section 2, Section 11, um, or 2, subsection 11, uh, being an LNG terminal. As we explained in the order, I think it's at foot, or the rehearing order, footnote 31 at JA66, cites some earlier commission orders. We cited a number of those and others at page 27 of our brief. LNG terminal or a terminal was typically a large port or, or was used in parlance prior to the 2005 Act. And so let me to-
3: let me ask you about that history. Your your theory is LNG terminal had acquired an almost term of art status. Um, public Citizen has a striking, and I'm, I'm just wondering how much of this is anachronistic because they say that when the intervening statutes were enacted, there was only one export facility. And it was in Alaska, and I assume it's like what you have in mind here. It's a coastal facility that can directly load a specialized tanker. So I would have to. So is ex- that is re- that accurate um, as to export? And it's just we were doing a lot of the U.S. was doing a lot of importing
1: at the time. Um, Where do we get I, this sorry. established practice? So if I, I can, I think narrow or kind of clarify. At the time of the statute, there was one LNG terminal or terminal that was a coastal facility in Alaska. There was, I think, imports. There may have also been exports um, with the, you know, coasts or oh, sorry on the border. And we note in our that we have exercised jurisdiction over the border portion under Section three of cross border pipelines. There was also, you know, potentially transfer you know, trucking or trains. We weren't going to exercise authority over that. I can cite a couple orders that were actually. Prior to the, um, the, the statute, if you look, uh, and this is uh, about the Bahamas facility at paragraph 39 of the declaratory order, we, we cite uh, a, a Calypso or, or Tracto Bell Calypso, which was about a facility in, in the Bahamas. We were going to regulate under section three the portion of this pipeline that crossed what's called the exclusive economic zone of the United States. It's outside state waters and the exclusive economic zone of the Bahamas. And so there we were regulating our Section 3, that border crossing piece of the pipeline. It was, if you go to Shell, they'll actually discuss how there's two different Bahamas orders. There was two different proposed projects, neither were ever actually built. But the the interesting thing about the Calypso order that we cite there is there's only one mention of LNG terminal in that order. And it's in a footnote talking about how the LNG terminal was gonna be in the Bahamas where the ships dock and, and they unload their LNG. And then it's gonna be piped 42 miles to the U.S. And we're exerting Section 3 jurisdiction over that portion of the pipeline that's crossing the border. So that would be an example of, uh, I think it was obviously an import facility that was crossing the border. Um, uh, We weren't, you know, calling a terminal. Uh, Yeah, but,
3: I mean, portions of pipeline just seems to me like it might be a different thing. So You have these facilities, you say... Gosh, everyone, you know, what everyone understood LNG facility to be is this giant thing that's right on the coastline and it loads directly or unloads directly from ships.
1: Your Honor, I actually, I have to disagree with our position. It was LNG terminal.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Terminal
1: is what described the deep water port. That's why, our, you know, our, our, um, our energy project heads testimony during the hearing that they cite later in the testimony, he says, the requirements of an LNG terminal are, and the first requirement is deep uh, access. We had been regulating, after Distro Gas, um, a sort of LNG facilities, and that's what included the cross-border pipelines. Those were facilities. When we talked about LNG terminals, and that's, I guess I didn't make that clarification earlier in my call with you, the one LNG terminal was the terminal in Alaska. There were other import and export facilities that were being regulated, and so you know, in terms of LNG terminal in Hackenberry, which we cite in our brief, I think, at 27, it's cited in the rehearing order at note 31. That case involved Section 3 and Section 7 uh, um, jurisdiction. We distinguished between the part of the project that had LNG ship unloading and was capable of unloading, you know, 210 tankers a year. That was the terminal, the, the interstate.
3: We're, we're just talking about LNG terminals as regulated by 3E, not whatever broader category of export facilities, there might be under three A's, you know, district gas penumbra. Yes. Right? Yes. So we're talking about like, can, can one draw an inference from history about what the term LNG terminal covers?
1: Yes. And we think you can, again, because when we use the term LNG terminal, we were talking about these, you know, facilities at the coast where a ship is coming and directly offloading LNG to or from um, the ship. You know, Freeport is a case that they relied on regularly, and, and we cite also in our brief. In Freeport, They described the LNG terminal as the facilities that were receiving the LNG, and the 9.6-mile pipe was actually called the send-out pipeline and described in different paragraphs of the order, and we had different, you know, yes, we approved the LNG terminal and the send-out pipeline. Uh,
3: This alternative export means of using containers, did it exist at the time? Was it popular? So I do think that there may be that the reason why everyone was thinking about facilities on the shore is not that anyone thought, oh, a quarter mile inland is completely different. It's just that was that was the only existing technology, and it's sort of like a Fourth Amendment applies to wiretaps point. There's a new technology, and all right, so it's a little bit inland. Like, so
1: what? So I do think that, and I believe the commission said in Shell that there were exports that were, you know, cross-border exports. You know, I described some pipeline ones, but you know, if you were trucking or taking something by train cross-border, we've never considered that within our jurisdiction. Um, So Judge Cassis' question was, did that even exist when this was uh, promulgated? I don't think it did. The the Congressional Research Service reports that are cited in, in I think, footnote 78 or 81 of Shell um, but they're also, I think one of them is cited in their brief, do talk about exports to Mexico and Canada. They don't specify how we're exporting to Mexico and Canada in 2004 or
0: 2009. Um, but, do you not know? I would just think as representing FERC,
1: you would know that this is a technology that's started we, in 2015. Well, I do believe, I, I don't believe that the technology in terms of trucking or or taking by rail LNG or or by pipeline is a technology that started in 2015. We just don't have a commission order, you know, and I asked sort of the relevant colleagues, have we ever sort of commented on this? And we didn't have one for that. Uh, But obviously there was cross border pipelines and we were regulating things other than LNG terminals um, prior to uh, 2005 or 2009. Um, And so, you know, we, we have, I think, again, Maybe more footnotes in Shell and more footnotes in Pivotal talking about a facility in Maine that that trucks into Canada. But, you know, we didn't have a site there. I, again, reached out to people at the commission. We, you know, that facility never came to us for a declaratory order, so we didn't have an order stating when that facility started trucking things to Mexico. I looked at the Department of Energy because all of their export approvals are available online. I looked at them last night. There were a number of export approvals in the 80s. Um, that sort of specify the countries or import. I think it was mostly imports actually, but imports and exports that specified the country you were coming from. There was, I should have printed it out and brought it with me, but, you know, coming from Minnesota and back with, with pipeline transfers and everything, I don't know about whether any of them specified we're going to truck, or we're going to use trains to move LNG away. But again, we were referring to terminals as being these open water ports or.
4: Council council. Uh, Can I ask you to focus on the direct transfer test in particular? Because history aside, we now have a statute in 2005 that you agree in your brief is very broad. It says an LNG terminal covers all natural gas facilities that receive, unload, load, store, transport, gasify, and so on. But your test seems to say that something is an LNG terminal if and only if it has a pipe that directly loads or unloads from a tanker. And I'm just really struggling with how to square that with the statutory text. So I have to point
1: to footnote 33 where we said we have not sort of taken a position on something that would have a pipe coming into the facility. It would then liquefy at the port and, and, and put into uh, ISO containers and, and be a dedicated facility that load those containers onto the ship. Like we said, we weren't
4: confronted with that. In terms of the the pipe, you need a pipe coming in. I'm sorry, can you say that again? Because the text of your order and the rehearing order says over and over, this is not an LNG terminal because it doesn't directly transfer to an LNG tanker. Yes. And to me, that seems to be the rule you've applied clearly distinguishes between two exactly identical facilities, except that one has the pipe that goes directly onto the tanker and one has a pipe that loads into containers, and they get trucked over or maybe even there's a crane there and it gets put on. That's the, that's the test. So if I can unpack that a little bit, um,
1: when we're talking about natural gas facilities, it needs to be a facility dedicated to natural gas. And so in in this specific um, no petro proposed facility, the trucking to a general use port, we even discussed how the crane at the general use port um, that's then not part of the facility because those are general use. I was Commenting that I think it's I think it's in the declaratory order, and not the rehearing order. Footnote 33 talks about how we haven't taken a position on a facility that would have a pipeline coming in. It would liquefy right there at the coast. LNG tanker or, or not an LNG tanker, a ship would come in. It would be you know solely not a general use facility, but solely for the purposes of um, natural gas. In, instead of piping it into the ship, it piped it into a ISO container and craned it onto. We have a footnote saying. Could you, you know, please thing, could yeah. you please
0: answer Judge Garcia's question because it's also something that I would like to know the answer to. How does your interpretation that requires an LNG terminal to directly transfer LNG onto a ship? How does that square with the statute, the structure, the context, and the
1: intent of Congress? So directly transferring all. And if I can just all I meant was we haven't said directly transferring. Requires, could you please
0: just I, answer the question?
1: Okay. Um, Directly transfer comes from the statutes, you know, focus on onshore or in state waters, um, and and it being an LNG facility. We said historically LNG facilities were facilities that, uh, if I can quote real quick, uh, that were connected via pipeline was one, but the the relevant one was located at the point of import or export such that LNG is directly transferred to or from an ocean-going bulk carrier LNG tanker. So. You know, we, we thought of the, them being at the point of export or import, and historically the point of export or import was directly transferring onto an LNG tanker. And so that's where we get the direct transfer test. Uh, heretofore, the direct transfer has always been by a pipeline, but we did leave room that if you – sorry. So, so so I just I, want to go back
4: go to clarify. The concern is that we're, we're interpreting the words located on shore, right? And it seems to me that here we could have a facility – it's located right on the coast it does maybe four or five of the statutory you know activities right it gasifies it liquefies it transports and it's on the shore and somehow your interpretation of the word located on shore would mean that's not an LNG terminal and i just and it's based on whether it transfers and how it transfers to a ship i think that's sort of the fundamental problem i see with the direct transfer test Do you have sort of a a way to connect this back to the text?
1: So connecting it
4: back, the direct transfer test
1: is about focused on locating at the point of import or export, which we deem to be the point at which you are transferring the LNG for purposes of bulk carrier facilities onto the vessel, if that makes sense. Um, And and so if you imagine, say they couldn't get permitting or something for the Port of St. Joe, now Petro had said in their application or if the Port of St. Joe was full, they might truck to Jacksonville, which I think is 200 and something miles, or Mobile, Alabama is 200 miles the other direction. You could have a facility that was located right at a coast but was not using a nearby port but was trucking, you know, many, many miles away. Uh, Again, we would say the trucking cuts off it being a LNG facility because you're trucking to a general use port. Um, And that facility might be located, you know, it might be located very close to the shore or right at the shoreline, but it's not at the point of import or export because that's that other general use port is the point of import or export. Uh, It would sort of distinguish if you built... Thinking about, you know, trucking to Canada, if you built a facility on the sort of coast of Maine, or I guess in the Puget Sound might be easier, in Washington, right up against the water, but then you trucked up into British Columbia, you know, we would say the point of import or export is the truck crossing into British Columbia, and that facility is not located at the point of import or export. And so that's where we're, you know, we're thinking about LNG. Again, the terminal we think does describe deep water LNG ships but we're thinking about where is the point of import or export. And that's why for pipelines, you know, it's that stretch of the pipeline that crosses the, the international border. Let me try it this way. You've just said that um, if you have a facility
3: loading cartons, crates, what's the, I forgot the term. ISL containers. Containers. Yeah. If you have a facility locate loading containers, it can be right on the border or it, it can be anywhere, right? And once, Once the item is loaded on the truck, that's the end of the facility and you're not at the point of import. But let's focus on what you think is regulated. Um, Is there something about the directness of transfer that um, just bakes in geography? Because I have the same concern my colleagues do on direct transfer, which is just if you think at the highest level of generality, the statute requires geographic proximity, and FERC has replaced that with some concept of directness. And that seems problematic, un- unless there's something, you know, unless, I don't know, technologically,
1: a direct transfer facility has to be right there at the coast. So- I think this goes to that you know the direct transfer is what we think of the as the point of import or export, and so we've traditionally only regulated, including for the cross border pipelines just the point of import and export was sort or import or export sorry um was the section three jurisdiction and the section seven jurisdiction was the interstate but locations. even even the facilities the paradigm l n g export
3: facility that you think the statute covers right has on the outgoing end it has like a mini insulated pipeline right that affects a transfer from the facility to the specialized ship yes okay is there some reason why that insulated pipeline can't be a quarter of a mile
1: long so if the pipeline is still transferring directly to the ship i think we would say because the facility includes that pipeline. The facility is then running up to the point.
0: Sorry, if it were okay. in Nebraska and the pipeline ran to the ship, that would be mm-hmm. on shore?
1: So it would actually be a little bit different there because the pipeline from Nebraska to whatever the point of export or import state would be a Section 7 pipeline. And so because it'd be interstate, it would be mm-hmm. transiting. Um, and so that would then be exempted from Section 3 and put in Section 7 by the um, Section 211.
0: Uh, okay. Ten miles uh, away in the same state. Onshore? So, On shore? so miles inland in the same state, onshore?
1: So I think the, the Freeport example, or, or the Alaska Gasline example, is sort of talking or thinking in Freeport, the liquefaction facility was right at, at the shore. The inland pipeline for the intake was 9.6 miles. It was a traditional terminal right there at the shore. I suppose if you did the liquefaction at the other end of the 9.6 and you had the pipe, the pipe is all gonna be still part of the same facility and the facility is still going to extend to the shore if that
3: makes so sense. your answer and still going to be directly transferring at the so i don't want I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but i think your answer has to be that it has to turn on the the metaphysics of what the facility is and if you have you know the facility needs to load the ship you need a pipeline to do that you're saying that pipeline by definition is part of the facility. And it turns out most most of these things are right on shore and the pipeline is ten feet long, but same analysis if it's a quarter of a mile long.
1: Again, the facility has to extend to the point of import or export, which in the example you're giving me is the pipe sort of piping into the LNG tanker at the coast. I'm
3: yeah and Sorry. i guess i'm just trying to figure out is that that pipeline going out from the facility is it is it more like a truck which feels like it's just a different thing or is it it's just part of the facility the you know you've got the storage tank and the pipeline is just an arm coming out of it and there's something about the science or the technology that just requires you to treat that as one unit
1: uh i think it's partly because it's the same sort of facilities and, and things that we've traditionally regulated, the port, the, the coastal, the LNG tanker berth, et cetera, the takeoff pipeline, the, the liquefaction facilities, the storage facilities, they've all been part of a facility. And again, traditionally, when we've had applications for these, and when we've talked about an LNG terminal, again, the terminal language was for these large tankers. Um, we had other cases about pipelines, you know, crossing interstate uh, You know, the natural gas facilities language in section 211, that's where we draw our sort of first uh, criteria that it needs to be dedicated to natural gas. So, again, the pipeline is dedicated to natural gas. It's it's all part of the same natural gas facilities. They're only dedicated to natural gas. Now, Petro here broke that chain of natural gas facilities when they load these general use containers onto trucks and they truck to a general use port. We did have, I think, in paragraph 12 of the declaratory order and, and I can't recall the paragraph in the rehearing order, we talked about the crane, even though it's on by No petrol, still wouldn't be a part of the natural gas facilities because it's a general use crane. So, you know, I ask we-
0: something. it seems to me that what FERC wants to regulate, correct me if I'm wrong, is safety. And what's happening at these facilities is they're, I guess, cryogenically freezing the natural gas to make it liquid. It has to get to whatever, 260 degrees below, whatever it is. And it seems to me, why does it matter where the facility is, if, if if the purpose of this regulation is to promote safety?
1: So I think the purpose of the Section 3E edition was to make clear that FERC was going to be regulating the siting, construction, and operation of these facilities, right. as compared to states. Um, there was obviously a dispute between California and FERC going on at the time about a proposed LNG terminal in, in the port of Long Beach. Um,
0: and and sorry. and. By all accounts, it seemed that FERC wanted standards that apply everywhere. They didn't want different states doing this on their own and different states have different capabilities and experience in regulating something like this. And so I'm just trying to understand why it is that FERC doesn't want to regulate these facilities unless they're right on the coastline, because it seems to me
1: it's a matter of function, not location, if your goal is safety. So I think we've traditionally um, interpreted Section 3 similar to how we interpret Section 7 and taken the view that, uh, you know, you needed to be an importer, like at the point of import. But why?
0: I guess so you um, keep going to it's our tradition, but I'm trying to understand, so, but sorry. why?
1: Um, we understood that the Congress's purpose when initially drafted the Natural Gas Act to be concerned with uh, the interstate pipeline transport. At the time, we didn't think that exports included the facilities. It was distro gas. I think Judge Katzis or Judge Garcia during petitioner's, um, uh, call if we noted that it was district gas where this court sort of informed us that section 3a um, covered more than just the actual import or export of the gas so you know our earlier reading of the statute was that um, it was focused on pipeline transportation for section 7 it was focused on the actual import export sales rates terms things like that um, and so I'm not sure that we've treated the statute more broadly even after district gas is being focused on safety as much as it's focused on we're the party that regulates you know terms and, and conditions. And in some of these, when they're not asking for a declaratory order for import export but they're asking for, you know, certain rates if they're importing that they're going to be selling into the market and other things like but that. But you're, you're charged with regulating
0: site and construction, etc. That's not rates. Yes. That seems, it seems to me that, correct me if I'm wrong, that doesn't that all go to safety? Like, why else would you have to regulate site and construction and, and how these things are run?
1: I think safety would be one concern, um, you know, environmental interests, regional interests. We've Mm -hmm. we've traditionally similarly regulated kind of siting of pipelines um, in the Section 7
0: uh, So my question is, why does that depend on where it is, whether it's a quarter of a mile from the shore or five feet from the shore? Why does it matter?
1: For us, it matters for two reasons. We think that the statute used onshore and LNG terminal to talk about these deep water, or not, I shouldn't, to talk about these sort of bulk tanker facilities. And we traditionally treated our export and import jurisdiction, even after District Gas, as focused on the point of export or import, which was that kind of point of crossing a border, point of crossing an economic exclusionary zone. Let me try it this way. It seems like the practical effect
3: of what you're doing is to draw a regulatory distinction between facilities that are loading specialized tankers through an outgoing pipe and facilities that are loading cartons for for shipping. What is the difference why might someone want to treat those two
1: categories differently? Um, so the, the general use containers or general use cargo ships, I think is what you're asking me. You know, we've always viewed general use facilities as outside of our jurisdiction because natural gas facilities meant things that were specifically um, uh, dedicated to the import and export. And so that's where the import and ex- the point, And so we need the point of import and export to have dedicated natural gas facilities. And so that's where the pipe that loads onto an LNG tanker ship is the point of import all, for- so, all, all it's doing
3: is natural gas.
1: Sorry? All it's doing is natural gas.
3: The truck that carries these cartons, can it just be any old truck and all the technology is in the carton doing the insulating, mm-hmm. or do you need a special kind of truck I assume to that- carry LNG?
1: Well, so... For purposes of this project, they're carrying LNG in these ISO, International Container organization. Those containers can carry other things. Um, A colleague said, like, orange juice is something that they often want to cool when they're trucking that they would carry in the trucks. The trucks could carry. Yes. So if you cleaned it out after you had natural gas, you could have something different in that container. To your specific question, I assume that there's some sort of ISO container-carrying truck, so it might be different than a – general flatbed, but it's going to be some sort of ISO container truck. Either the truck or the container can accommodate natural gas something. or orange juice or something else um, that needs to be kept cool and, and is uh, in a liquid state there. Uh, so, yeah, yes, I guess. we And so we don't view those trucks as dedicated natural gas facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of breaks the chain of what is the facility we're talking about with respect to Nel Petro. Uh, I mean, that might be an argument
3: for why direct connection flows from your dedication requirement, but you linked it to onshore, which is the geographic
1: requirement. Yeah, I think, uh, again, I think our three criteria come from natural gas facilities located onshore in state waters transported, sort of the waterborne aspect of the onshore there, um, and also from our use of LNG terminal, which, again, is traditionally these bulk carrier um, facilities or what we called terminals. In the congressional testimony, we described you needing ability for these large tanker berths. Um, the point of import or export is, you know, we demarcate that and, and we didn't decide to have some sort of Uh, geographical proximity to the point of import or export. We looked at our traditional practice, we looked at what we'd seen before and thought the point of import or export is where you're directly transferring something to um, the foreign country in the case of a pipeline or to the tanker in the case of uh, these LNG terminals that we had seen. Uh,
0: It seems to me that you're relying a lot on your traditional practice or what you've always thought, but we have a statute here that is really inconsistent with your traditional practice and the statute has to control, right? Yeah, I'm not sure that, or I guess we don't think the statute's inconsistent. Well, where in the statute does it say it's deep ports? It says all natural gas facilities that do all these things, transport, gasify, liquefy, process. And where does it say at the point of import or export? It says that is imported. It doesn't say at the point of import or export. None of that is what, what, the way you've construed the statute is at odds with what the statutory language says.
1: Uh, You know, I think we think that natural gas facilities that do these functions for gas imported into the United States or exported from, you know, again, you're right. We're construing against our traditional understanding of what Section 3 is doing. Correct. And And I'm I'm suggesting
0: to you that your traditional understanding, to the extent it conflicts with the statute, the statute has to control. And I'm asking you to point out where in the statute it says that it has to be next to the water and it has to be one of these deep port, big natural gas terminal things that you're thinking of and where does it say that it has to be at the point of export
1: so obviously we think that the statute's ambiguous and it's broad and and we think that congress was legislating against where's the ambiguity uh Onshore, again, as meaning at the shore, it can also mean coming towards the shore, like an onshore wind is a wind coming from the ocean to the shore. It can mean located on land. So we think that onshore is, is broad and ambiguous. We do think that in using the term LNG terminal in the legislative history, talking about these coastal facilities and LNG tankers, Congress was you know intending to legislate against our regulatory backdrop. And so we think that the broad ambiguous language of the statute was not meant to displace our traditional understanding to legislate in light of our traditional understanding. Again, that's they didn't. You know, they used LNG terminal, which was a term we had used in prior orders describing these coastal facilities that had large tankers. They didn't use, you know, but they, all they export used a completely facilities. The
0: different definition of LNG terminal than your your traditional understanding. And it doesn't say at the point of import or export. Where, where is that ambiguous?
1: No, it didn't. Um, I think, and I believe this is covered in Shell or um, in Pivotal, but. We had traditionally thought of the point of import or export versus the interstate um, commerce as being the line between Section 3 we're and Section…
0: We're back tradition, and I'm, I'm looking oh, okay. at that story. Well, approach.
1: I was going to point to, uh, you know, in uh, Section 211B, they excluded any pipeline or storage facilities subject to our Section 7 jurisdiction. And so we thought that was an indication that, again, for these cross-border pipelines, they were still thinking about the distinction that we have traditionally drawn between Section 7 jurisdiction and Section 3 jurisdiction. Um, You know, that was an issue in other cases about intrastate transit or or about um, where the Section 7 regulations came versus Section 3. But we did think when they exempted the Section 7, they were sort of thinking of our traditional line between Section 3 and Section 7. Thank you. Thank you.
5: may it please the court i am jennifer key i am representing the intervener um no petro lng llc and i'm here just appearing to reinforce the position that our my client does not view the case as moot
3: um what, what can you tell us about your client's intentions
5: um i could tell that they currently they do not have plans to move forward with this project at this time And that's due to market conditions as we stated in our letter um that doesn't mean we've abandoned the idea um completely at um this port or any other port that has a you know a suitable facility suitable area nearby where we might um engage in this activity for for Um, how long
3: does the declaratory order protect you if, if you want to begin construction
5: i mean i I view it protects us till another commission comes and changes the policy
3: in in per, so
5: for indefinitely
3: indefinite. um you would build you would build the plant if the price of natural gas goes up
5: I yeah know. and we yeah, need to find the right off taker and the, you know definitely the price of natural gas i think um has an impact here um but we definitely think the, the standard generally used of the, the issue arising again has to be you know, too remote and too speculative um, to not occur again. We don't think that standard of too remote or too speculative has been met. And the other often used speculative, that it's absolutely clear that the behavior, which
4: As to, as to your client's intentions, I imagine what you just said probably describes any number of potential projects they might have in the pipeline, right? We, you know, we've got our our list of 20 projects we might do someday, maybe, and this project is now back in that bucket if, you know, the price of natural gas goes up and other conditions are favorable. Is that essentially what you're telling us?
5: I don't think I well, I'd say it's more than just the price of gas. I, mean, I think there's other market concerns other than the price of gas, but that, um basically, the reason they're looking to export um and particularly, I can tell you this much, you know the areas they were looking to export to were generally not too far from Miami, uh, the Yucatan Belize, those areas where um they do have trouble with you know to produce electricity um natural gas can be used um such that um you know there are. Entities down there that, if the right, um, you know, if a right project was built in one of those areas that needed natural gas, um, you know, that they would be interested. And in specifically relating to the um, the port at St. Joe, there is a the piece of land that um, the project was going to go on um, is uh, is contaminated, and it's highly contaminated such that it should be available to our client um, because there's almost nothing else that could go there. It would be, um, so when we talk about, you know, if a customer came along for the product, um, we fully expect that, that um, we could, um, we don't currently have, a, I think, an option to lease that piece of land, but that piece of land can basically be used for very few other things.
3: Thank you. Appreciate your
2: rebuttal. Yeah, I would like to make a couple of points about mootness and then a few points on the merits. Uh, First, um, the commission says it uh, decides these things on a case-by-case basis. I think Judge Cassis, as you pointed out, it really has um, It doesn't apply a facts and circumstances test. It has a pretty definitive ruling about truck transport being outside of its jurisdiction. Uh, It also mentions, the commission mentions that uh, public citizen could seek a declaratory ruling if no Petro decides to start up this project again. Uh, To my knowledge, there's no timing requirement on a declaratory ruling. The commission could sit on it and Petro could build its plant, and by then the case would be moot. On the merits, the commission spent a lot of time on term LNG terminal and its historical understanding. It is not a term of art. It's a defined term in the statute. The question is, what does that definition mean? Um, I think nothing, almost nothing in the commission's order really parses out the word LNG terminal. It's about what the meaning of onshore is. Um, The other point I would like to make on LNG terminal, although the commission mentions large facilities that directly transfer LNG onto tankers, the new fortress decision that this court decided last year involved a completely different type of facility. Uh, there was a chain of transfers onto the dock, onto a floating storage unit that then uh, used a small hose to tra- uh, transfer the LNG on-, on shore. And the commission said, we're not going to let you circumvent our jurisdiction through innovative designs. So I think that's completely inconsistent with the uh, commission's position that it looks to its historical understanding of what LNG terminals look like. Um, In terms of the statutory definition, I'll just point out, liquefaction facilities, regasification facilities, they'll never be located at the point of export because they have to be connected to the ship in some way, either pipe or truck. It's the pipe or truck that will be located um, at the the point of export. And finally, as to the Commission's emphasis on point of export, that's not a permissible dictionary definition of the term. The the plausible universe of uh, interpretations are on land or near the coast. Not near the point of expert. I think that that cabins the patient's authority altogether. Or has no further questions. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Thanks to all counsel, the case is submitted.